Hello and welcome to a flat pack history of Sweden. And welcome to Sweden. We are finally back together in the same physical space, me and Chris. We've spent a few weeks apart because of the whole moving process and starting new jobs and stuff, but we're now finally back together doing an episode. It's really fun. Yep, it's very strange being in the country that we're actually talking about, but it feels good. Yeah, and Jack, Chris's brother, did an excellent job stepping in as co-host last time. Thank you very much, Jack. It was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And I hope you guys uh, that were listening did realize that they were two people, that it wasn't just Chris talking to himself, because you two do have a very similar voice. Yeah, but it was good fun. I think had we thrown in your father as well, you could have had a conversation with three different people who all sound exactly the same. Yeah, that would have been a bit more confusing, I think. And it was really fun to do a slightly different episode with Jack and me telling him everything rather than us both doing some of the research. And it was good to be able to conclude the topic of Viking women as well. So, yeah, ticks in different columns, I think. But it's also very good to be back doing more regular episodes back with Orsa. And this episode feels extra special as well, as it is that first episode to come from Sweden. Yeah, you're right. A flat pack history of Sweden is now actually coming to you from Sweden. And we're not entirely at our final location yet. We need to still move once more within Sweden and staying with friends and bits and pieces like that. So it'll be another few weeks until we're properly set up, but we're still able to record now. So that's great. Yeah, it's really good. And I'm sure everyone who's ever moved house before, and especially if you've ever moved from one country to another, you'll know that it's a process with several steps and lots of things involved. Uh, But like Chris said, it shouldn't be too long until we can set the podcast stuff up permanently in our new place in Stockholm. But in the meantime, we're going to continue our exploration of Sweden during the Viking Age, and it's time to talk about something that we've mentioned in several previous episodes, but not really looked at in any real detail, and that is religion. Yeah, very exciting. Very strange at times. Uh, But first, should we do our Swedish phrase of the week? Yeah, and I think you've been given this one personally by someone. Yeah, this week's phrase comes as a suggestion from one of our listeners, Joachim, and it's a really good one. I really like this. The phrase is, Har man satt fan i båten så får man ro honom i land. Now, it literally translates to English as... If you've taken the devil on board in your boat, you have to row him to shore. I guess that makes sense, unless you want to kick him off overboard and throw him in. No, no, no. If you've taken him on board, you better row him to shore. It's quite a common Swedish phrase, I'd say. You you hear it quite a lot. And it means that if you've started something, you have to finish it, no matter how difficult it might be. So you might say... Oh, wow, renovating my house is turning into a much bigger and more time-consuming thing than I thought. But, well, you know, if I've, I've now taken the devil on board with this house renovation, I have to row him to shore, I have to finish this. Yeah, I like the idea of it meaning you have to finish something. That's a good and practical 
use of the phrase. Yeah, it really is. So thank you very much, Joachim, for suggesting it. And thank you for listening. And also thank you again, Joachim, for sharing your Swedo-Finnish phrase last week. I'd never heard that one about having so many that the undermost are rotting. Vi har till de That's a great phrase. I'm, I'm certainly going to start saying that now. Yep, I'm going to use both of these ones. And if any other Swedish listeners do have a favorite phrase they'd like us to talk about, do send us a message and we'll certainly include it. We do have a long list, but I think we're getting near the end of the ones that we started right at the beginning when we started the podcast. So I think we're running low. Always welcome suggestions, especially if you have something that's a bit of local to your area, like uh, Jokum's was local to uh, the Swedish speaking community in Finland. That's extra fun. Yep, but onwards with the Vikings for today, and in particular, what religion was like for the Vikings. We've already talked a bit about when Christianity reached Sweden, especially in episode 12 with the amazing adventures of our good friend Ansgar. And we therefore talked a little bit about the reactions from the pagans and what some of the pagan rituals were that they were doing at the time of Ansgar, because Ansgar mentions them and talks about them. But we're going to take a step back a bit today and talk about it all a bit more generally, using a lot of examples as well as we go. And so we'll be able to use this to see what the Vikings believed in when Ansgar and his friends arrived and started to try and talk to them about Jesus and Christianity instead. Yeah, I think many people have a sort of vague idea about Viking religion because it's something that's been brought up in popular culture a lot relatively recently What with the whole... Marvel revival and Thor and Loki and all of that and Christopher Hemsworth sort of swinging his hammer about on the big screen and there's certainly a lot out there about this topic not just in popular culture but also more factual stuff and academic works that covers Viking religion and myths so uh, if you want to learn more after this episode there's definitely a lot of material out there to continue to read and watch and listen to. Yeah, and we'll give a few examples at the end of the podcast as well, which uh, you can listen to or read or watch as you desire. We're using the word religion at the start um, of this discussion, but the language is slightly interchangeable. You might also be able to talk about myths, mythology, religion, belief systems, all this kind of thing. So, What we mean by this episode is that it's simply what people in Sweden and indeed throughout Scandinavia and eras settled by the Vikings believed in or practiced. It's about how they conceptualized the world as it was around them. How did they think the world had been created and what they thought happened after they would die? What they turned to to seek protection from or comfort from? In short, it was basically how did they view the world that they lived in? Today, when large parts of the world views society in a completely non-religious sense, it might be difficult at first to appreciate just how much religion influenced people and the societies they lived in. In fact, it, it did so up until relatively recently in our history. And you might argue that, in fact, religion still has an impact on how we structure our societies and how we relate to the world that we live in. But 
that's a discussion for another time, maybe, and perhaps even another podcast. We're not a philosophy or religion podcast as such. We're a history podcast, but within our scope, I think it's still important to take religion or people's sort of conception of the world into account. Absolutely. And one thing is for certain, and that is that what the Vikings believed and how they believed it had a big impact on what they did in a day-to-day life. And so by looking at their religion, we can certainly learn a lot about what that life was like. Definitely. And in doing research for this episode, I felt like, in a way, it's the closest I've gotten to the Viking age Swedes, in the sense of trying to see the world the way they saw it. It's brought me closer to what it must have been like almost inside the head of a Viking. I think knowing a little bit about Viking religion is helpful because a lot of what the Vikings left behind for us to view today, be that written accounts like the sagas or rune stones or archaeological finds, they are connected to religion in in some way. So for this episode, we're going to first give a quick introduction to what the Viking religion system was. Then we'll look at two main aspects of that religion, being the creation myth and the idea of the afterlife. And after that, we'll finally look more briefly at a couple of the gods in more detail and see what Viking religion left Sweden with and what traces of it we can still see today. Yeah, and there will hopefully be some funny stories along the way as well, because This is what I've always loved about Viking religion. I remember we had to study it in history in middle school, and I always liked it because there are some pretty mad and rather hilarious aspects to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to all of this. Um, So what do we mean when we actually say Viking religion? Well, if we're looking just at the words themselves, Eisatru in Swedish, or Aesir belief, is a belief in the Aesir gods, and that's a term that comes up quite often. But it's not to be confused with Eosatru, which is a belief in me. Ho ho. I've been waiting all week to try and do that joke. But what is Aesatru, or Aesir belief? So it's it's ancient Norse mythology is probably a word that we use more in English. It's the body of beliefs that dominated Scandinavian society during the Viking Age. Yes, Åsatru is the Swedish word. Aesir belief is something you hear sometimes in English, but ancient Norse mythology is probably the English phrase that we that we come across more for this body of beliefs or this religion. Okay, because that's confusing me a lot. So this belief system is something that's grown out of earlier Germanic myths and religion, and then it's still in place in Sweden until we get up to Christianity, right? Yeah, which, as we saw in the Anskar episode, did not happen overnight. It was probably into the late 1100s until Christianity had properly taken hold in Sweden. And the shift happened gradually as well, with this old Norse religion and Christianity existing side by side for a long time. Yes, and we'll definitely talk about the conversion in a much more 
detailed episode later on as we reach it in the timeline. But as we'll see throughout this episode, this religion, this Nordic belief system changed over time and was slightly different in different places as well. As Anne-Sophie Gresslund puts it, Old Norse religion should not be regarded as a static phenomenon, but as a dynamic religion that changed over time and doubtless had many local variations. Well, that makes sense. I mean, if we compare it to what Christianity is like today, that's not the same as it was 200 years ago, nor is it the same if you live in Sweden compared to the UK or wherever. So it makes sense that during the Viking Age, religion and the belief system and how it was practiced would be different in different places. And also, we're talking about a period that spanned several hundred years, so obviously there was a development within that period itself. Yeah, and of course it's impossible to really know exactly what which Vikings thought what and at what time, uh, especially from, you know, in a philosophical sense. But we do have written and archaeological sources which do seem to suggest that religion played an important part in their lives regardless, both in terms of personal devotion to gods and customs and also how the rituals and the way people interacted with each other provided a framework for day-to-day life. As Emma Gruneveld puts it, ancient Norse Scandinavia was a world in which belief in divine powers abounded, and all of these had their own attributes and functions. One of the main functions of any religion or mythology is to help explain the world we live in. Very, very simplified, Norse mythology can be described as seeing the world and the creation of the world in four phases. The phase in which the world was created, which we'll look at in more detail in a second, Uh, then a dynamic phase in which time started, and this would be where the Vikings saw themselves as living, and then the destruction of the world, and finally the rise of a new world. According to Old Norse religion, in the beginning there were two realms and lots of giants, from my understanding. Plenty of giants. The world as we know it was created when two realms, one icy and one fiery, collided, and out of the collision rose a giant called Ymir and a cow called Adhumla. Adhumla then licked the ice and uncovered Buri, a sort of forefather of the gods. Buri's son, Bor, then met the giant, Bestla, and together they made the first three gods, Odin, Vili, and Ve. Okay, that's really crazy. I don't. <laughs> I, lo- I love a creation myth where a cow was involved. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I really completely follow that whole story. I, this but... was the very. I, I I had to sort of very very much summarize this, but th- that was the whistle stop tour of creation according to the Vikings. Wow. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll come back to more on Odin and Villa later, because they're two names that I at least remember. I've never heard of the cow Adhumla. I I want to buy a cow now and call it Adhumla. Um, uh, You think we can fit a cow in our new place? Yeah, I think we probably could. Um, But yeah. We'll We'll get back to you on that. 
But back to the story and fast forwarding a little bit. Um, Odin and his brothers kill Ymir, the original giant, and they make the world out of his body, um, which is exciting. The giant's blood becomes the water around the world. His skin becomes the land and his skull becomes the sky. The land on the very edge of this world they gave to the giants and then from Ymir's eyebrows they made a wall to protect what they called Midgard or Middle Earth in English where in the middle they built the fortress of the gods Asgard. Odin and his brothers then create the first humans Ask and Embla and they were fashioned out of two trees or two pieces of wood depending on how you translate it. Yeah, like we said, there's this is a whistle-stop tour of the creation, but that's just to give you an idea of how the Vikings saw the world as having been created and how they fitted into it. Now, at the opposite end of the spectrum, if you will, if this was the creation, the the opposite end, what Vikings thought would happen at the end of time, that's also very interesting. And the end of time was very much a, a real thing for the Vikings. Uh, there, there was a doomsday belief, if you like, not so much in the sense of a, of a judgment day, but in the sense of that the world that they lived in would come to an end. And this idea is called Ragnarok, uh, the end of the world. And it's something that the Vikings really did have quite a lot of detail on and wrote and talked a lot about. There's so much detail in this and we'll really only have time to cover it in broad terms for now. But it will start, apparently, with three horrendous winters in a row. And this will cause men to start to fight. Stuff doesn't really get going properly though until Fenris Wolf, this monstrous wolf creature thing, breaks free and swallows the sun. I mean, tasty. Yeah, very, very tasty. I wonder if he got heartburn afterwards. Uh, it might seem like we we make light of this. It's it's not our intention to ridicule this or or indeed any other religion. As someone who grew up in Sweden, I sort of understand in a way this idea of Ragnarök because trust me there have been winters where I doubted that they would ever end this is a cold country and and if you live I can imagine sitting as a viking during winter you know it's incredibly cold you're wondering you're, you might be running out of food and you're wondering you know will it ever get warmer so that I can plant new stuff and I grow more stuff and then to have this idea of that the world would end through incredibly harsh winters and cold it's it's not that far-fetched when you consider how long the winters really are and how scary that would have been when you were dependent on what the land gave you so Ragnarök is, is, is quite an outlandish idea at times, but I can kind of see how it makes sense for you during uh, Viking Age Sweden. Yeah, absolutely. I can totally see what you mean with that, and that makes sense. Uh, but going back to the story, the eating of the sun by Fenris Wolf isn't the end of the story because this sets in motion a chain of events that in simplified terms means that there's this epic battle between giants and gods and 
honest Viking warriors will rise up and help fight in this battle. Eventually, after a fight of truly crazy proportions, a new world will dawn. The earth will be lifted from the waters, green and fair, and all evil was banned to Nastrand, the Hall of Evil. It even seems like gods and humans will then live there together in this glorious new world that's been created. Hmm. Sounds quite nice after, after all the horrible things that happened during Ragnarok. But for most Vikings, this idea of the end of the world was something that lay beyond their lifespan. They wouldn't see it uh, or be part of it. Instead, uh, they would die within the time phase that they now lived in. So consequently, the idea of what happened after you died was important in Norse mythology, as it arguably is in most religions and mythologies. Norse mythology is pretty multifaceted when it comes to the afterlife. Unlike in, say, Christianity, there's no defined heaven or hell and nothing in between. Instead, there seems to be an idea that you could come to many different worlds after you died. One of these worlds was Valhalla, which I think many of us might have heard of. Yeah, I think Valhalla is a is a term that you might have come across It was the feasting hall of the god Odin, and those dead who were chosen by Odin and his Valkyries got to live there in what seemed to be just like an eternal party, eating this pig that resurrected every night, and then they could eat the same pig just over and over. So they were having this great time until eventually they were called on by Odin to fight with him in this final battle of Ragnarok. So yeah, they get a lot of time to have fun beforehand. This was because Valhalla was this place for people who died a hero's death in battle, for example. But it wasn't the only place where Vikings could look forward to spending the afterlife. According to some accounts, those who died at sea, which was not an uncommon cause of death for the Vikings, could look forward to spending their death with the goddess of the sea, Ran, in her underwater home. Some accounts also mention that the goddess Freya had her own abode for the dead, called Folksvang, uh, but that's only mentioned very sparsely and we don't really know much more about it. No, and it seems most Vikings could look forward to spending death in hell. Note, not in hell but in Hel, spelt with one L. This was a world presided over by the goddess Hel, uh, located under the earth. She has a place named after herself. Yeah, uh, it's the goddess Hel, and her world underneath the earth uh, is also called Hel. Unlike in other religions and mythologies, the Vikings seemed to not incorporate the idea of punishment into their idea of the afterlife. Uh, there seems to be no, uh, like, if you're bad in life, then you'll suffer in death kind of idea. There's no hell, no heaven after death, really. Just just other places to go to. Because whilst Valhalla was this mad party place that m- might be fun to end up in, in general, the Vikings seem to believe that they just got on with the same sort of things in death as as they got on with in life. There's not really an idea of either sort of eternal glory in heaven or eternal punishment in hell. Uh, just kind of that you moved to another world uh, in a less judgmental way. 
there's also sources that suggest that the Vikings believed in reincarnation. Mostly, this is mentioned in the idea that previously deceased relatives were reborn as new children in the family, sort of like, oh, my brother's new baby must be the spiritual rebirth of old Aunt Singhild, or something similar to that. Yeah, interestingly, they didn't seem to believe in reincarnation outside of the family. So if you were reborn, you were reborn as a younger member of the same family. I didn't find that much sources on the Viking beliefs in reincarnation, but I still thought it worth mentioning because it's interesting. So we've mentioned some of the gods already, so should we look at them in a little more detail? Yes. Old Norse religion was a polytheistic religion, meaning it is a religion with many gods, a pantheon of gods, if you wish. So unlike, say, Christianity or Judaism, where you have this belief in one god, one supreme entity, Norse religion has, has many gods. And in that sense, it shares characteristics with many religions that are still widely practiced today, like Hinduism, for example. Yeah, like Hinduism with Shiva, Ganesh, Vishnu, all the different characteristics of the different gods. Yeah, and many, many others. Exactly. So, according to Snorri Sturluson in his poetic Edda, the Vikings had 27 gods, 13 male and 14 female, so that's a nice balance. And the Viking gods came in many different shapes and sizes, quite literally. As we said, they're both female and male gods, and they're described as looking quite different. Some of them were huge, and some of them were more human-like. We're going to briefly look at five of them today in particular because they're the might be the ones you've heard of the most and they're also the ones with the craziest stories. Yeah, although there are a lot of what we might see as, as crazy stories when it comes to the Viking gods. So we could have uh, we could probably make a podcast series just covering uh, Viking gods. But we've already mentioned Odin and he might be someone that uh, some of you have heard of. Odin was the chief god in Norse mythology, the top dog god, if you wish. Uh, we've already seen how he forged the world along with his two brothers in the creation myth. So he's been around since the start of the gods, so to say. Alongside with being the chief god and the head of partying at Valhalla, Odin is associated with wisdom, knowledge, and warfare, among other things. He's also the god of poetry and of magic, so he's got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. In general, when you read about Odin, he seems to be quite an elusive figure. He appears in different shapes and with disguises, and generally floats about being in charge of a bit of everything. He also has some accessories, for the lack of a better word, that seem to be really cool and I quite like. He's got an eight-legged horse named Slepnir, because why have a horse with four legs when you can have one with eight? Mm. I'm sure it goes much faster with having eight legs. And he has two ravens called Hugin and Munin. Um, sort of roughly translated, Hugin means memory and Munin means thought. So, yeah, they're thoughtful ravens. And every day, Odin sends them out over the world to collect information for him. And when they return, they sit down on his shoulders and tell him everything that's happened. Indeed. And along with having a cool horse and uh, two birds, old Odin also has a wife called Frigg. Uh, Frigg isn't... 
uh, it's hard to tell if she's a goddess or not, but she seems to operate more as a protector. Uh, she's the protector of marriage, uh, which I find a bit funny since uh, she and Odin apparently don't live together and Odin has several lovers and mistresses. So <laughs> I would question her kind of role as protector of uh, of marriage, but maybe that's looking that's me looking at it with my 21st century glasses. What do I know? Frigg is also the protector of Baldur, one of her and Odin's sons, who is also himself a god. As always, there's lots of family connections when you're talking about these gods. And another one that we're going to talk about now is Thor. And I think a lot of people will have heard of Thor. Indeed, so good old hammer-wielding Thor. Thor is, of course, the god of thunder. Many of our listeners might recognize the idea that when he gets angry, he drives his chariot across the sky, and that's what brings bad weather, or thunder in particular. But Thor was more than that, because he was worshipped a lot by farmers and by slaves, in fact. In many ways, you might say he was the everyman's god. In fact, he's sometimes described as the god of humanity. Yeah, so they're kind of the god that was a bit like you, that yeah. you could relate to. Because I, too, drive over the sky in a chariot with a hammer. He had a family and two kids and, uh, yeah, was perhaps more relatable than some of the other gods. Next, I thought we'd talk about two gods where you kind of get two gods in one because they're connected. Frey and Freya. They're twins. And like a lot of the Norse gods, they're in charge of more than one thing. It really seemed like most of them were double or triple working these gods they were multitasking across a spectrum of tasks freya for example is both the goddess of making predictions which she then teaches odin and she's the goddess of war which is an interesting combination yep war is just chance so yeah. That would make sense. Yeah, well, wow. I'd never thought of it like that. You need to read more Clausewitz, clearly. But the really cool thing about her is the fact that she had a chariot pulled by cats. Cats! Probably the worst animals to get to pull anything for you. Um, they probably just get very lazy and just lie around and just say, I'm not doing that. That's true. I mean, cats are famously non-cooperative and they don't really work as a team. So I don't know how they made that happen. I, mean, I just see a bunch of cats and then one going off in one direction to chase a mouse and one just sitting down to lick himself. It does not seem like a good idea, but uh, maybe they were divine cats. Uh, who knows? Uh, anyway, Freya's twin brother, Frey, was the god of fertility. Frey has no feline-drawn chariot, but he does have a ship called Skidbladner that can sail on land, always has downwind, and can be folded together. Sounds like a flat-pack ship to me. Yeah, I guess pretty much so. Was Frey the forerunner of Ikea? Maybe. That would be very cool if he was. 
But yeah, they seem to be very well set when it comes to transportation, at least, when it when it comes to these it, gods. They they travelled well. I mean, we could go on and on talking about Norse gods and goddesses and the fantastic world that they inhabit uh, and the stories about them and their flat pack ships and their affairs and all the rest of it. But like I said in the beginning, there's a lot of material out there if you are interested and want to find out more because I, I simply think we're running out of time uh, in this episode. And very right. We could do an entire series of podcasts on this, and uh, which is unfortunate that we don't have the time to go into it all, but there are some other great podcasts out there that we'll reference at the end. Just one thing before we move on, as always, it is important to consider what sources we have when we take into account these stories of the gods and Norse mythology in general. It's worth keeping in mind that a lot of the written accounts that talk about Norse mythology and what people believed in were written down much later in things like the sagas, which had different motives and intentions for their stories. Indeed. That famous saga author Snorri Sturluson is one of the people who's probably written down the most accounts of Norse mythology. And he wrote his works in the 12th and early 13th century, so potentially hundreds of years later from when people were actually believing this in a day-to-day thing. Yeah, and that's just something to keep in mind, that there is a gap between when the people lived and believed and when accounts of their lives and their beliefs were were written down but what has the vikings religion and belief system this norse mythology what's it left us with today as we saw in our episode about ansgar the swedes didn't all go en masse from believing in thor and odin to being christian during the viking age or towards the end of the viking age Uh, Conversion to Christianity was a slow process that happened at different times in different parts of the country. It happened differently in different sectors of society. And there seems to be a long overlapping period. Even if the belief in the old Norse gods and Viking mythology in general died out at the end of the Viking period, we can still see traces of it today in Sweden. Some of the names that we have in Sweden stem from the Old Norse gods themselves. If you visit Sweden, it's not unlikely that you run into a Thor or a Freya. In fact, my own name, Elsa, is believed to be from Old Norse and means goddess, supposedly. Well, that's lovely. Um, The names of the days of the week in Swedish are still linked to the Old Norse gods. Wednesday, for example, is called Onsdag, Odin's Day. Thursday is Torsdag, as Thor's Day. And Friday is Freydag, Frigg's Day. Last but not least, there are people today who believe in ancient Norse mythology, who believe in Åsatru and Old Norse beliefs all across Sweden, and it seems throughout Scandinavia and and the rest of the world, uh, I couldn't find an exact figure on how many people that state that they believe in Old Norse mythology in Sweden today, but there are several groups and associations that unite people who do so. Yeah, it's certainly not died out completely. And when looking at the old Norse religion, where you can see a belief system that might be slightly alien to us today, but also makes complete sense in the Viking world. And if you believe in certain aspects of it, you can definitely see how it would still be appropriate today. 
in some ways, the Viking religion was a reflection of Viking life, and maybe the other way around. The Vikings had violent aspects of their culture and life, and so did their gods. So the Vikings placed a great deal of importance in marriage and alliances, just like their gods did. We get an idea of how living according to these beliefs influenced the Vikings, both on a personal level and on a societal level. My guess is that Viking religion is so well known because of how well it lends itself to storytelling. It does have some marvelously exaggerated and even quite comic aspects to it. But at the same time, it's not just about crazy hammer-wheeling, larger-than-life gods and horses with eight legs and flat-pack boats. This belief system meant something uh, to a lot of people during a long period of time, and we can still see traces of it today. Speaking of what we can still see traces of today, also and I are going to look into getting out from behind the desk and heading out into the area around our new flat and spot some traces of the remains in the area. There are apparently a few Viking graves nearby, so we're going to go and have a look at those uh, when we get a moment and maybe take our microphone with us and be able to explain to you sort of in live moments about what they look like. We've not figured out exactly how to do it yet, but it might be that next time we're coming to you straight from the marvellous outdoors and the remains of history that are physically with us still today. Which will be super exciting. I'm very looking forward to being able to talk to you about some of the really cool stuff that's still literally out there in the ground and in society today. Definitely. Uh, but if you want more information about all these myths, legends, stuff the gods got up to, and religion during the Viking Age in general, one podcast that has dozens of amazing episodes is the aptly named The Myth, Legend and Lore Podcast, which is a great podcast that we really like. And they're also nice and active on Twitter, uh, so you can go check them out on at Lore Myth. Yes, and that's run by Siobhan, who's also, who's very good at recommending other podcasts. And uh, a couple of the other ones that have a lot of detail about things like this is the History of the Vikings podcast by Noah Tetzner. That's got lots of stuff about this. Uh, the same as the Viking Age podcast by Lee Accomando. And they've both, they've both got lots of stuff about the Viking Age, as there are podcasts specifically on the Viking Age. And... As always, there's lots of uh, articles and things out there by various academics that we've mentioned in past episodes that also do bits and pieces about religion. So there's so much out there to read if you uh, want to have a brief look into stuff. Yeah, please do. And until next time, uh, keep following us on social media. We're at Flatpack Sweden on Twitter. And you can find us on Facebook. Just search a flat pack history of Sweden. Uh, if you'd like to send us an email, you can do that on flatpackhistorysweden at gmail.com. Yeah, well, for the first time in Sweden, I think it's time to say goodbye and we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you for listening and yeah, we look forward to telling you more exciting stories as we go now from our new location. Hey, Dale. Bye bye.
he has no feline drawn cat. Uh, that's that's what cat mean. That's a a feline drawn cat is a cat drawn cat pulling another cat. He has he has no feline drawn. We need to stop laughing. <laughs> this is so going on the end of the episode. Uh. Oh. Right. Now, 